Warning, the Not Real Art Podcast is intended for creative audiences only. The Not Real Art Podcast celebrates creativity and creative culture worldwide. It contains material that is fresh, fun and inspiring and is not suitable for boring old art snobs. Now, let's get started and enjoy the show. Salutations, my creative brothers and sisters. Welcome to Not Real Art, the podcast where we talk to the world's most creative people. I am your host, faithful, trusty, loyal, tireless host, Sourdough, coming at you from Crew West Studio in Los Angeles. Today we have a bonus episode, something extra for you. I wanted to drop for your listening pleasure here in LA at Helms Bakery District in Culver City, which you've heard us talk about in the past because They're friends of the show, and we work with them to produce events there. This last few months over the summer, they've been exhibiting Close to the Edge, the birth of hip-hop architecture, which explores the multidimensional influence of hip-hop on our urban fabric. Curated and designed by Siku Cook and jointly presented by SoCal Noma, the A&D Museum in Helms Bakery District, this dynamic exhibition dove into the rich and vibrant world of hip-hop from its fundamental elements of emceeing, b-boying, and graffiti to its influence on the world of design and architecture. The exhibition shows how hip-hop has been translated into the creation of innovative spaces and structures effectively introducing a new narrative in architecture. The works on display of the exhibition includes groundbreaking contributions from students, academics, practitioners, ranging from experimental visualizations and innovative installations to facade studies and urban development proposals, and also on the walls. It was graffitied by L.A. OG writer Prime. This will bring us to today's episode because Close to the Edge of the Birth of Hip-Hop Architecture featured Prime's graffiti. He adorned the walls with his iconic letter forms, and it just added depth and richness to this really innovative and interesting exhibition close to the edge. And so I got invited, I was invited, it was a great honor, to moderate a panel with Prime to discuss not just hip-hop architecture, but to discuss his journey as a graffiti artist in L.A. He was joined on the panel by LAOG writer Man One, friend of the show, business partner, And I was able to moderate a panel discussion between Prime, Jose Prime Reza, and Man One discussing L.A., their relationship as as graffiti writers to space and to architecture here in L.A. Obviously, there's a symbiotic kind of dynamic that happens between graffiti writers and the urban landscape. However, graffiti is not what it used to be in that it's much more mainstream and much more legitimized than it was in the 70s and 80s. It's talking to Prime and Man One was a great honor to to be able to drill down and get a sense of how they've seen LA evolve over the last 50 years. And, you know, they were both born and raised Angelinos. So it was very interesting to hear them talk about 
how LA has changed for good, bad, and indifferent, how the community has embraced uh, not just graffiti art, but muralism and public art more generally. And, you know, what is the impact of not just architecture, but development and gentrification in this city of LA? And what does that mean for how art gets used? And so it was a fascinating discussion. I was so honored to be able to sit down with Prime and Man One. And so we recorded the conversation. And today you're going to hear it. I'm going to drop it for you so that you can hear our conversation that went on for about an hour. And I think it was really rich and really interesting. For those of you who aren't really familiar with Prime and Man One, Jose Prime Reza is an American graffiti artist born and raised in the Pico Union District of downtown Los Angeles. Prime is credited as being a founding father of the L.A. stylized graffiti lettering, a hybrid of Cholo lettering and East Coast style graffiti that is often bold, aggressive, and monochromatic. Prime is considered one of the most influential artists in the history of Los Angeles public wall writing, combining traditional East Coast painting techniques with geometric gangster-style blocks, according to the curators of the book and exhibition Art in the Streets. His work has been exhibited in many shows, including Art in the Streets, L.A. Louvre Gallery, and L.A. Art Show. Man One, friend of the show, and my beloved business partner was on the panel, and Man One grew up in Los Angeles and developed his artistic skills as a graffiti artist on the streets here in L.A. He honed his talents as a fine artist and understanding of art history that he studied and graduated from Loyola Marymount University, where he got his bachelor's degree in fine arts. And in 2002, he founded Crew West Gallery in Los Angeles to legitimize graffiti art as a valuable and collectible art form and gave graffiti artists a professional venue and forum to showcase their work. Man One's art comprises his trademark bold, colorful art strokes, and he's been featured in over a dozen solo shows and countless group exhibitions. His work has been exhibited in many museums, including the Museum of Contemporary Art in Los Angeles, the Getty, Pasadena Museum of California Art, LACMA, and the Smithsonian Institute in Washington, D.C. So, man, what a great night I had sitting down with these guys and hearing from them and learning more about their journey and their thoughts about the city of L.A., the development of the city of L.A., architecture, gentrification, and the rise of graffiti and the legitimization of graffiti art. And so I guess without further ado, let's get into this deep and rich, fascinating conversation I had with these guys in this bonus episode of Not Real Art. Be sure to check out the photos that we have posted on the website of the event. It was a great night and it was a great honor to be asked by the folks at Helms and it was just an honor. It was a great turnout too, great crowd. And so anyway, without further ado, let's get into this and hear from Prime and Man One. How's everybody tonight? All right. You made it out on a Friday night in LA traffic. Give yourselves a hand. You know. <laughs> By the way, let's give a hand to Soka and Lance and the SoCal Noma and AD Museum and the bakery. I mean, everyone, give them a hand. This show is amazing. <clears throat> I am honored to be hosting or moderating this panel with these two. OG legends in the LA graffiti art scene. My name is Scott Power. I'm the co-founder of Crew West Studio. We are a production company that specializes in arts programming. I'm also the creator and founder of notrealart.com and the host of the podcast, Not Real Art. So it's my honor to be able to sit down 
with these artists because one of my greatest joys in life is to honor artists and help them tell their stories and promote their lives and their artwork. And so the, the honor is all mine. So without further ado, right, you don't want to hear me anymore, right? I'll shut up and we're going to talk to these legends. Let me sit down here. Prime Man One. Yo. Yo. Wow. Great to have you guys here. So Prime, why do you think you got famous? <laughs> yeah. Really just writing, I guess, in the neighborhoods, you see the tags on the walls. I've seen sometimes in a recent interview, someone asked me the same question, and I really couldn't have uh, been more in, uh, of a loss and how to say that I got famous because I don't really even feel that. Right, right. The humility of an artist shines through. But my guess is you're famous because you got up more than most and your style was distinctive and trailblazing. I appreciate the humility. Man, one, what do you have to say about Prime? You're an OGLA writer, a bit junior compared to Prime, I think. Uh, what, what was your experience of Prime? Yeah, well, first of all, I want to say thanks for everyone coming out. I didn't realize many artists were going to be here, old friends, people I hadn't seen in a long time, and brand new people. So thanks again for coming out. One thing I didn't know was that we were both born the same year. And the reason I didn't know that, or didn't even dawn on me, was because when I was growing up, I grew up in Alhambra, so the east side, San Gabriel Valley. And when I first got into graffiti, was all writers from that area. And the ones we looked up to in that area was K2S, STN crews. And Prime is one of the main members from those crews. And so I had already seen his stuff up. when We used to go to drive by on the 10 at the Brooklyn Yard and the Panic Zone and all these spots. And so I just always assumed he was like 10 years older than me, you know? And really it wasn't until just recently that I found out, how are we the same age? Like he must have been, he must have started writing when he was like five years old. Cause you know, I started when I was like 16, 17. So he was a late bloomer. Yeah, obviously. yeah, he was doing it before. So I guess to the question initially was just the way that Prime and especially that whole K2S STN cruise, the way they painted back then, it blew our minds because it wasn't gangster, it wasn't hip hop graffiti, but it was somewhere in between and it was something different. And it was big and colorful and bold. Yeah, we just always looked up to them. So it was just years later to be able to meet Prime and all these other artists was like, wow, it's amazing, you know? So the name of this exhibition, this incredible exhibition is Hip Hop Architecture. I wanna sort of start at the beginning a little bit and just do a little level setting and hear from each of you guys. What does hip hop mean to you? What does hip hop mean to me? I guess freedom, freedom of expression, a new era, mostly the freedom of expressing yourself. Definitely, I would say the same thing. But I would also say that, you know, when I was growing up, especially like in the mid 80s, when hip hop started coming to LA, because back then, by the way, we didn't call it hip hop. We had breakdance music and we had different kinds of things. It was rap and there was breakdance music. And so hip hop came later, like the term. We didn't know it as that in L.A. But for me, it's important because, I mean, that's if it wasn't for hip hop, I would have never got my name. My name. I got my name because one day I was on a bus and some kid was tagging on the bus and I asked him what he's doing. And he's like, just graffiti here. Give me the marker. And said, put something up, just don't put your real name. And I was listening to Mantronics, which is a group from New York, on my Sony Walkman. I started writing Mantronics, and that was the first time I did any tagging. It stuck, and I just wanted to do that 
all day long. And so I was like, let's do it on the streets. And so I, I found friends to show me how to do it on the streets. But when I got to the streets, I realized Mantronics was way too long. <laughs> I'd probably get arrested by the time I got to the X. <laughs> so I just cut it down to Man. So Man One has always been my name like that. But if it wasn't for hip hop, I wouldn't even have my name, you know? But for me, you know, there's always this debate, like is, is graffiti part of hip hop? Is it, a, is it one of the elements or it's whatever? One of the four pillars, is it not? Well, sure, that's what people say, but in LA, graffiti's been around way longer. You know what I'm saying? There's been graffiti in LA, I don't know, what can we say, since the 40s? 40s. Let's be I clear, mean, right? I mean, to the extent graffiti is about writing on walls, I mean, that goes back to the caveman. That goes back to the yeah, caveman. Yeah, but that style, that's LA right, right. there. Yeah. That's not, you can't find that in New York or right. Philly or in the caves of France. Right. These are, this is LA, right. you know? So, <laughs> and you looked. Yeah, I looked. <laughs> well, so Prime, how did you get your name? I actually just took it from the spray can. From <laughs> I was about 11 years old, so I, don't, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I just <laughs> took the R off. And it sounded good to me, so. It's the truth. That's, that's <laughs> I, didn't, great. I, didn't, I didn't really learn. They used it for prime time and prime colors and all this. And I was like, wow, it's, it suits me fine. It's good to be <laughs> prime. That's right. So, what do you guys, when you think about hip hop and hip hop culture, and you think about the perception of it, obviously, grew up hip hop, you, you know, hip hop is core to your culture, your identity. What do you think most people misunderstand about hip hop? How many Latinos are part of hip hop? People look at it as black culture, which it definitely is. Obviously, it's not, not going to debate that. But being a Latino, Chicano from LA, I identified with all of rap music and stuff. And I didn't see color. I didn't see, I didn't care if it was Public Enemy or Karis One or, you know, NWA. I loved it. But there were so many of us in LA who just, we didn't care. And we were Latinos and we were into hip hop, like hardcore. And, you know, looking back at the history, you realize that in New York, a lot of the people who started trailblazing, especially even graffiti and stuff like that, were a lot of Puerto Rican, Latinos. And so that part gets left out a lot about hip hop. And even with the music, they try to do like, oh, there's Latin hip hop or it's not like that. There's like two people you can name that are Latin hip hop or whatever. But Latinos have always been in the mix. And so that's the one thing that I think is always missing. So this amazing, inspiring show, Hip Hop Architecture, I would love to hear from each of you what this show means to you and what do you think the value of this show is? This show, to me, at least means that it's expanding. Hip hop or the arts, they gave me a new insight on something that I, I didn't really had encountered about, you know, with hip hop or architecture, yes, but not the two things sort of coming together. I think it opens, you know, new doors for possibilities are endless. I mean, mine was a simple job. I, I there was uh, some lyrics, but when I saw some of the, sculptures and some of the ideas and some of the photographs i mean it looked really that gave me more idea for different projects on my own i mean i think it's important for people to it's it's with the whole thing of expansion of, of this era well man so graffiti artists have a unique relationship to architecture right i mean buildings walls talk a little bit about the connection or the relationship that graffiti artists have with the urban landscape with the architecture with the buildings 
Yeah. Well, as a graffiti artist, I think when we're driving around, we see space differently than most people. We're looking at places where like, oh man, if I put my name up there, they can't reach it. It'll stay up. Or this is a cool spot if I run across the freeway and jump the fence. Or we think differently, I think. That's why so many graffiti artists have gone on to be art directors and working as creatives, obviously as architects and, and other things, because we just see the world and the environment differently. Number one, because as a graffiti artist, it's not like street art where you're in your studio working and then you go paste it on the wall. It's like you learn on the street. You learn from someone else. They teach you how to do it and you practice on the street and you have to know how to navigate it and what time of the night or the day to show up. And there's a lot of things you got to understand about about the streets. And so buildings, obviously, is the number one thing. I'm really happy that in this show is Delta and Zeds. Because to me, they were like the first graffiti artists that I used to look at internationally who were doing just way different stuff than most graffiti artists. Other than just painting on a wall or making a wall look different, they were all actually building environments and using their letter forms to create buildings and spaces. So I, you know, I think they were at the forefront, in my opinion, from graffiti artists that were entering the architecture zone. So in terms of the public perception of graffiti art and graffiti artists over the last 30, 40 years, obviously it's changed a lot. I feel like on some level, public consciousness and public appreciation for the art form has definitely changed, right? Talk a little bit about, as graffiti artists, what you think people misunderstand about graffiti art and how their understanding of graffiti art has evolved over the last 30, 40 years as you've experienced it as a writer. I think it's, it's really gotten a lot more attention as an art form. Sometimes you might get some of the graffiti mixed up with other, that's gang graffiti or hip-hop, East Coast graffiti. They both think, people don't think that they're the same. They're not the same, two different messages. In the last years, I mean, I think it's made a giant leap of movement that a lot of people are, are so much interested in it. I really appreciate it. We all appreciate that. Well, it's interesting because the legitimacy factor, right, seems to have increased exponentially. I mean, but yet on one hand, on the other hand, it's interesting because now it's a felony, right? I mean, back in the day, it was a misdemeanor or something, right? So it's changed and evolved in really interesting ways for good and bad. Man, talk a little bit about your feelings about how people appreciate or don't graffiti art? Well, like I said earlier, I started when I was around 16 or 17. And I can remember with my friends out the gate, I was like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. <laughs> I wasn't even good at it yet. But I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to paint. I want to do graffiti and get paid. And all my friends, some of them sitting back there, would say like, nah, you know, no one's going to pay you to do graffiti. Who's going to buy graffiti? And I was like, I don't know, but someone will, I think, you know, not all our friends are going to be artists. We might have a friend who's a lawyer, maybe he'll buy it, you know? So I just figured like there was a future. I don't know why, but I thought maybe by the time I'm 20 years old, I can make it as an artist. Well, I'm 52 right now. <laughs> so it took a little longer. But one of the things was that, for example, I started Crew S Gallery in 2002. And that was the first full-time graffiti gallery in L.A. Because what needed to happen is we needed to educate people about the art form. Because it wasn't good enough just to show them 
wow, look at how talented these guys are, you know, because there was always this thing like, well, it just belongs in the streets. It doesn't belong in, in galleries or museums. And during the 90s, when I was trying to get into museums and galleries, that was the first thing they told me was like, oh, it's cool, but you do graffiti. That just belongs on the street. So it took a whole education of tons of people coming through, not just to my gallery, but also places around the world where people were getting educated. Authors who wrote books like Steve, here, Steve Grody, Graffiti right here LA. On the front row. So it's all about education and really showing people like what's really in there in this art form. Like it's not just a superficial thing. It's not just some vandal kid who decided to just go say, you know, fuck the world, you know? It's like there's more, more to it than that. And so that's what it took. It took just constant education and evolution. You know, and then you have 2011, Mocha does art in the streets. And then you're like, okay, well, I guess we're done. <laughs> so I closed the gallery the next year because I was like, there's nothing else to prove. But it just takes that long-term dedication and education to teach people like what graffiti is really about, you know? Okay, so as true blue Angelinos born and raised, you've seen the city change and develop in so many ways. And as graffiti writers, you have a unique relationship to the streets and to the buildings and to the landscape. Talk a little bit about, you know, just the show is hip-hop architecture. Talk a little bit about how the city has changed in your eyes for good, bad, and different. How have developers made life better or worse for not just the Angelinos, but maybe graffiti artists too. And talk about the, the evolution and the change you've seen over the last 50 years living here and, and growing up in LA. A lot of the things that I've seen um, for the good, I mean, like in downtown Los Angeles, they've restored some of the old theaters. Those are nice to uh, visit. I mean, it's not like the same as it was maybe 20 years ago or something. It was a lot more rugged. As far as landscapes, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of buildings going up. Nowadays, we're not so much painting outside of the, the building, but our paintings are, are inside the actual buildings because we're commissioned by some of these companies to for artwork. Case in point, the room we're in. <laughs> All right. right. So that's fascinating, right? So that gets the legitimacy and the commercialization, right, of the art form from what was maybe once considered just pure vandalism by people who didn't know better, all the way to maybe those some people that might would have called it vandalism 50 years ago are now paying good money to hire you guys to do, make your work inside their buildings. Man, talk a little bit about your experience with LA and how you've seen it evolve and your feelings about the developers and the development going on. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, born and raised in LA, you have a nostalgia of, of the era that you that you loved, which for me was the late 80s, early 90s, and it looks nothing like that anymore. Even though that was a very violent time, being a young person that time, it was there was a lot of a lot of stuff going on. But there was also a lot of experimentation with the art form and a lot of new things happening. So it was a really exciting time. Now what I see is, for example, the arts district, right? Artists can't really afford to live there anymore. <laughs> so there's a whole shift in communities and where people move. And Highland Park didn't look like this back in the day. Certain areas just so different. But along with that, sometimes comes good things. For example, I think, you know, the fact that so many new developers are hiring graffiti artists and street artists and muralists, 
to do the outside of buildings, not just in East LA, not just in Boyle Heights, but now it's like citywide. And, you know, I've been commissioned a number of times by developers to put up just straight graffiti pieces on a building. And to me, that's amazing because like we've gone, when I first started out of college and trying to make a living doing this, it was a skill. So it was like, oh, you know how to spray paint? That's cool. But can you spray paint palm trees in the beach? And obviously in your 20s, you just need to make money and you do it. But now it's like, no, 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 don't do palm trees in the beach. Do what you do. And that's amazing because that's, that's as an artist, that's where you want to get to where people love you for what you do, not to replicate something else. Because I'm one of the, I guess we've had stuff happen where someone hires me, I would do a design and then they would say, that's cool, but it's, it's too graffiti. <laughs> I always love that. I'm like, why are you hiring me then? Hire like someone who doesn't do graffiti. But now they actually want graffiti, you know? I mean, like this was impossible. It's just amazing how the shift has happened in people's minds with what art is and what it can be, you know? I remember so many of the talks we were at before where we were on the stage and it was graffiti. Is it art or is it vandalism? You know? And then there was me and a cop and like, <laughs> after like the third one, I was like, I'm not doing these anymore because they're, they're pointless. So there's no cop here tonight that I know of, but not on stage at least. So that's good. Well, so this is really about kind of the private sector and the private sector's relationship with the art form. Let's talk a little bit about the public sector. Let's talk about the city of LA, the Department of Cultural Affairs. Let's talk about how the city has or hasn't embraced graffiti art as public art or worked with graffiti artists in a legitimate way. And what kind of love or hate have you felt from the city? The city has embraced this a lot. Actually, I don't, I don't know if they still have a vandalism is felony. I think it's of a lower charge now. I'm not okay. sure. I think. But Let's find out for sure <laughs> yeah. before we... <laughs> yeah, I was, for sure, I've seen that some of the you know officers, I mean, um, they're not paying that much of harassment towards the young kids wanting to paint on the, on the streets or, or just, you know, just having fun with graffiti or muralism. Mural. The police officers themselves have come by and just have assisted some of those just having everything well safe and, and smooth. I've seen also different programs they've offered and they are more open to even using spray paint. Before it was used like the spray paint, it was, you know, you weren't gonna get nowhere. You had to pick up a brush or something and I was sort of against, I don't know that. Well, as I understand it, in the seventies, the city of LA was the mural capital of the world. And, you know, obviously there's, there was a lot of evolution and with that, good and bad, man, at one point, I think you were involved with the city in terms of creating the ordinance for the mural program. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that has played out and did it solve the problem that it sought to resolve? Yeah, well, for those of you who don't know, there was a, a mural moratorium from 2002 until 2012. So for 10 years, it was illegal to paint murals in LA. People were still painting them, but if one person complained, the city would come and remove it. And a bunch of all our murals got destroyed in, during those 10 years. So yeah, so around that time, 2011 and 12, we started with the city, with Tanner Blackman, who headed it up and kind of decided to, let's figure this problem out. And so a bunch of galleries and artists and community activists got together and we figured out a 
solution basically to come up with a mural permitting process for the city of LA that they adopted in 2013, I believe, or 2014, something like that. And so what happened is it created a renaissance at that time because all of a sudden everyone was like, oh, it's no longer illegal. So then everyone started painting everything, but they didn't go through the mural permit process. <laughs> but it was just this idea now that we're not going to get buffed and painted over. Unfortunately, that program, it still exists, and you still have to apply for mural, for permits, for murals and stuff like that. But most people just don't take advantage of it. Obviously, having fought so hard for it, I, I was like a, I was doing all my murals that way because also one of the positive sides of pulling a permit to do a mural was that the city would then be responsible for maintaining it, which wasn't a thing before. So if something got tagged, you can call 311 and then tell them where the location is. They say, okay, you have a permit on file. We'll go out there and clean it up. In theory, that was great. But in practice, that's not what's been happening. For a number of reasons, obviously, we had a pandemic. One of my murals in downtown, which is permitted, kept getting tagged over, obviously, during all the riots and everything. And the city never cleaned it up, always had excuses why they didn't clean it up. And finally, the building owner just decided to paint over it because it was just destroyed. So there's a pro and con, love and hate with the city. You know, I work a lot with Department of Cultural Affairs. I've been on their boards and I help them find artists and give public art projects to people. I've been given art projects by them, you know, so it's a good thing. But it's so understaffed and so underfunded that I think that needs to be done a little bit better. And maybe there needs to be some way of injecting more money into public art for the city of LA. I mean, a city this huge shouldn't have shouldn't have a problem having a bank account that can fund tons of projects, you know? Right, right. So years ago, I was having a, a Guinness in an Irish pub in Chicago. And the woman next to me, who was an artist in Chicago, we started talking. And she, with that neighborhood, this was like 95, that neighborhood was starting to see Here's the G word for the first time tonight, gentrification. And so we started talking about gentrification. And she said to me, I was a young buck, maybe 22, 23 at the time. And she said, well, you know how gentrification happens, don't you? And I said, well, like, maybe, but you tell me. And she said, well, the way it happens is there's always this plighted area of town that no one wants to live in. The crime rates are high. But there are big affordable spaces that artists can afford to live in, and they move into this plighted area. They set up their studios. They start making amazing art. There's a cool gallery that pops up, an underground club, a, a coffee shop, and a vintage store. And before you know it, you know, two, three, four years, that's the hip, cool area of town. And then the money follows, and then eventually the artists have to flee because they can't afford to live there anymore. Now, that was the sort of unformulaic approach to the maybe the way gentrification used to happen now it feels like gentrification is like formulaic they just have a formula and they know bring in artists bring in galleries let's put in some murals let's you know and then that's how the system or the that process of gentrification you know, often begins talk a little bit guys specifically about your feelings around gentrification the good bad and the ugly well yeah, it's, it's a double-edged sword, right? Because especially now, because the formula exists, people reach out to artists all the time to paint murals and come up with interiors or whatever, bring a gallery in, all that stuff. 
So as an artist, you want to do it and you want to get paid and you want to make a living. But then the flip side is the rents are going to go up. Who's going to be able to afford this? It's usually black and brown people are kicked out of those neighborhoods. So you have to think, well, I, you don't have to, but I do think about, okay, well, if I'm going to work with these people, what can I put into place or what can I contribute? So a lot of times the way I work is when I'm brought in on a project like that, that I think is on the cusp of being gentrified, you know, I like to bring in community. A lot of my murals are about working with communities. So like right now I'm doing a mural project, the old Jordan Downs in Watts was the developer there put out a call and I got the project maybe like 2019, but then obviously because of the pandemic, nothing happened until last year. And I've been painting murals. I've been painting murals in what they're calling it Cedar Grove now to take away the stigma of the Jordan Downs housing. And so I decided to do murals, all of portraits of residents. And so rather than just do my own work and bring it in or whatever, or I decided to have meetings with people. So starting last year, I did about five or six meetings in the community and met with people and kids and every age group that was living there, photographed them and all that. And this whole year, that's all I've been doing is just going down there and painting murals of these people. And it's been incredible because the developer now called me. I just was there last week. They were interviewing me. Because now the developer decided that this is going to be something they do in all of their future projects. And so that just goes to the point that at the end of the day, it's people that matter. It's the communities that matter. It's not the building. It's not the Starbucks or the Nike store or whatever. It's the people. And so when you put the reflection of the people on the walls every day, there's only like maybe like 30 walls that I'm painting. And I have hundreds of photos of people. <laughs> And every day I'm painting, someone comes up, how can I get in my, I want my face in the mural or I want my kid in the mural. I'm like, oh, give me more walls, you know. But it just shows you that when people see themselves on the wall and they see themselves reflected, it matters, you know. And so I think good for this, this developer, Bridge Housing is their name, by the way. I'll give them props. Because a lot of times the developers, they come at me or at artists like the last thing. Or we're already done with the building. We just need like some nice, like cool little stuff here because, you know, the Starbucks is going to open and we don't, you know, we need something that looks cool. So that's, I think that's what I try to do when, when it comes to gentrification is you're not going to stop money. You're going to lose all the time against money, but what will always win is community. And so, and we've seen it in Boyle Heights. It's happened. And so there's places where you can fight back in, in certain ways, but I think it's just about, you know, trying to be as, as open with the actual community that lives there as possible. Talk about what happened in Boyle Heights. Well, in Boyle Heights, exactly what you mentioned was all the big galleries started opening up, opening up in, in Boyle Heights, bringing in a lot of collectors, big collectors, big money, big shows, but there was nothing happening for the community. They weren't helping in any ways. People's obviously their, their rents were going up, people were getting evicted. And so Boyle Heights, a lot of the people just got together and were like, we're not going to stand for this. They started protesting a lot of galleries and, you know, sometimes they kind of go overboard. I mean, they protested self-help graphics, which is crazy. <laughs> like, okay, that's a pass. But people like self-help graphics, for example, if you don't know, I mean, they're instrumental in lifting up the voice of Latinos and other people in that area. So sometimes it's misguided, but the overall effect was that people stood up and fought 
and made noise. There's still buildings there and there's still things and a lot of galleries left and all this other stuff, but also a lot of opportunities opened up for community members. But unfortunately, that you have to have that kind of coalition and drive to, to protect the neighborhood and it doesn't always happen. Sounds like the moral of the story is if you're for the developers out there, who's a developer? <laughs> the moral of the story is it sounds like it's better to go ground up versus top down, right? Yeah. So those are, that was an example of best practice and worst practice. Prime, talk a little bit about your experience working with developers. My experience with developers. For the most part, I'm trying to usually get myself some sort of space that can be more community-based using, mm -hmm. so therefore they're used in, the, in those neighborhoods. Actually, man wanted to get more involved in the community than I am. But some of these developers, they're not worried about any of that, about any of the... Right, the, so a bit, bit of an afterthought, maybe. Yeah. Okay. So my experience has just been fair, I guess. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting. Do you feel like... Because what I'm hearing is, and this is, I think... Kind of what the show is about as well really is feels like so many of these developers maybe are kind of simplistic when it comes to working with artists it's like oh i need some pretty something pretty on the wall so it's like putting or something interesting something cool on the wall so let's paint the wall two-dimensional but when you think about how graffiti the aesthetics of graffiti might inform three-dimensional space and shape and form and function what do you think the opportunities are for developers to work with graffiti artists specifically and artists more generally? And, and you walk the show and you see, you know, all these amazing ideas, but it's this exploration of how the 2D informs the 3D. So talk a little bit about, you know, when you walk through the show and how you saw graffiti art informing the design and informing the, the concept. In this show, I mean, the designs that I saw were out of this world in a way. I mean, yeah. I mean, like some of the sculptures back there, mm -hmm. it looks like a giant graffiti know, piece graffiti or something, piece. right? Yeah. yeah, right, right, I mean, right. That was really interesting for me. Some of it, it had taken a house and, and sort of divided it into different sections. And it was something really new to me. I mean, not something that I had so much I'd thought in about. I mean, the other thing that was really interesting was the one with the um, doors or windows the outside covering of a certain building or something. It was a photograph that was on here. I'm always thinking of like sort of ideas for my own art. I don't necessarily think of it as something I'm going to be explaining to somebody or, or anything like that. Right, right, right. Yeah, man. Oh, actually, it reminded me that I think the first time that we showed together was in 1994 at MoCA. There was a show called Urban Revisions. And that was the first time graffiti was at MoCA in this context. And what happened is it was a show about architecture and urban planning and urban design. This group that I worked with called Adobe LA, artists and designers on the border edge of LA, went to MoCA and I said, why are you guys doing a show that's about the future of LA and there's zero Latino architects or urban planners showing, right? And so the curators were like, okay, well, what do you guys want to do? We'll give you a, an area. And they were like, no, we don't want an area. We're going to do an intervention. And so they said, okay. So they got artists like Prime and Tempt, Rest in Peace, who just passed away, Angst, myself, Vile, Nerve, K4P, 
bunch of artists and we all went in there and we painted the walls some stuff like this <laughs> right but other big murals and things like that so we just went in and decided where we were going to paint and do our art i think three architects left the show in protest so that shows you where we've come right because we were at a time when they didn't see us as working hand in hand with them and we had to come in and just kind of like like graffiti artists do is just I'm going to do that <laughs> and just show up and do it. And so this conversation has been evolving. You know, it's, it wasn't always like this. Architects weren't always open to what we're doing and urban planners weren't thinking about including us in our own city. So it's took graffiti artists to be like, no, you're going to stop and listen and pay attention and include us, you know? So yeah, I think it's just, thank goodness we're at a place, I think, where people are more open to it now, you know? Got it, got it. Well, thanks, guys. Well, I bet the who has questions for Man One and Prime? Yeah? Let's open it up, guys, because I know that the audience is, is, is itching to talk to you guys. Please, what's your question? What's written on the walls? Basically, lyrics from Tribe Called Quest and Wu Tang. That's all they are. They were given to me for. Well, yeah. So you were directed to paint lyrics from them, or that was your your own decision? Just curious. No, that was their decision. Got, got it, got it. Well, you know, it's an exhibition. You know, you want to <laughs> exhibit. Any other questions? Oh, come on. Oh, yes. If you could talk about your project in Nepal, which I think is really the crowning glory in terms of where have we come? You know, how far have we gotten? It's amazing. Thanks. Thanks, Sharon. Yeah, so last year I was invited by the U.S. Embassy in Nepal to go and do a two-week street art graffiti intervention, painting, murals, workshops, lectures. It was amazing because, I mean, when I got the call, I, you know, Nepal wasn't even on my, on my radar. That was the place to go and, and do what I do. So we were invited. Well, I went out there for two weeks and we... Yeah, it was amazing meeting all these local artists, getting to see how diverse Nepal actually is. I, I knew so little about it. I was in Kathmandu for the most of it, although we did go to a couple other cities. But seeing the way they look at street art and graffiti is incredible because they have, when I got there, I seen all these walls painted in the script. And so I just thought they were street artists and whatever. And they were like, no, that's all propaganda. That's just like city propaganda. Like when something happens, the city goes out there and they hire an artist to do all the lettering. And I was like, oh man, well, let's go over it. Because the whole idea was like, they wanted to learn how to protest, how to say stuff out there, you know? So one of the murals that we did is we got together with, I don't know, like 10 or 12 local artists. And we painted like a 120 foot long wall. I remember I did, the whole theme of the mural was unity. I did unity, you know, in their language with their script, but done in graffiti style. And people came up to me and they were like, oh, that's so cool that one of the local artists did this, the thing and then you just filled it in. And I was like, no, no, I did the whole thing. And they were like, wow, you could do that with our language? Like you could do graffiti in, in our language? And I was like, yeah, why not? So. It's amazing that it was last year, so 2022, these people in this part of the world are finally opening up to the fact that you could do something different with typography and with, with words and letters. 
And this is something that I've been practicing since 1987. So there's still places to learn and, and progress and share. The people I met there were, and then I learned so much from them, the different types of art forms from the different parts of the country. It was just amazing. So yeah, that was like a, a really unique once in a lifetime experience, you know, who would have thought, you know, running around the middle of the streets, painting graffiti in LA would land you in Nepal, working with the US embassy, you know. On the US taxpayer dollars, so you're welcome, by the way, you're welcome. <laughs> Okay, so one more question. Yes, sir. Or two more, right. two more, three more maybe. Uh, come on, come on. Yes. So this question is in regards to the style of the lettering here on the walls. Prime or man, if you can explain why is this distinct for LA as opposed to the East Coast graffiti? Well, to begin with, some of this writing you would see it mainly on the East side of Los Angeles, mainly used for gang activities. It's normal to just see like maybe a roll call of names and then and then a larger emphasized lettering they'll, they'll depict their gang or sometimes crews uh, or uh, but anything about that specifically is just mostly for gangs. I mean, I, I see it very different from the East Coast graffiti. I mean, of course, I think even certain people from New York are actually more attracted to it than they are from some of the East Coast graffiti that they, that they see. One lady named uh, Marsha Reed from the, the Getty, Getty Research Institute, she one time invited us up there to show us some of the books that they had from like the 1400s and 1500s and stuff like that. She was asking me, I have like a, a whole group of scholars here that, that can translate in different languages and writings that they've seen, but none of them can actually tell me what this is. She was showing me a picture of a corner liquor store or something. I didn't really know how to tell her, I mean, what, they, what it really was, you know what I mean? Uh, I, I try to explain more in a, a simple way, a polite way of saying that, well, those are warning shots that, you know, certain people are, are letting other people know where they're, they're standing. She said, oh, wow, and um, that's the stuff that I see in your book that me and my friend of mine, Big Sleeps, had done. And she goes, we'd like for you to work on a project with us. And that's how actually the, the Getty project started with the man, one, and I, myself, was, were a part of. I think today, I'm, of course, not using it for any of those things anymore or anything like that. Um, but it's certainly been my stepping stone into the arts, I think. You know, I mean, it's opened my eyes regardless to how and what it is or what it was used for. Thanks, Prime. Is there, there was another question. Yes. This question's for Prime. So in looking at your journey and reflecting on it as a graffiti artist and how far you've come, when you started, what you've been through, kind of taking yourself through your own journey, can you talk about how you approach your art now? I think I'm always developing that, how I approach my art now. Recently, I've been working with different materials as far as like papers, different papers from Japan and, or France and stuff. Maybe sometimes even making my own from scrap papers that I may collect. I'm in a different stage almost every other, every other summer or something. One summer I'm doing one thing and the next I'm just like, like a kid that, that starts um, drawing. And wants to draw Superman, and wants to draw Snoopy or something. I'm, I'm, I'm constantly sort of evolving in, in that 
in that sense, or that I want to experience that and give it my own my own little twist. Prime, just to clarify a little bit. So, would you characterize that as an intentional change, or you did just kind of you just go with the flow? I would go mostly with the flow. Go with the flow. All right, let's yeah. let's go. There I was mean, a question. Something that's different uh, or totally, right, that right. I see that's interesting, you know, or sometimes crossing one thing with another, and I, you know, by a trial and error, see something that's interesting to me, and I try to develop that more. Yes, there was a question right there, sir. Thank you for, first of all, thank you for expressing yourself and telling your story here today. And this exhibit has really been great. My question is, and relates to, it more relates to where do we go from here? Because again, you, you mentioned a few minutes ago about sharing, and these are great stories that need to be told. How do we move forward in terms of really being able to incorporate that in the hardscape of our community? That's a great question, and that's what we need to answer. And I think in each of our practices, we do it in our own ways. I'm, you know, very much involved in murals and muralism. Although I do, you know, show in museums and galleries and all that. If I could just do one thing, it would be murals, because I think that's how you are able to talk to the most people. I've done murals where I painted it, and then two years later, I get a random email from someone saying. You know, thank you for helping me go through this problem I was having with my father. And I saw your mural and it changed my outlay. <laughs> that's crazy, but that's the power of art. And also because it's free, because it's on the street, because it's accessible, we're able to communicate. So, so this whole conversation we've been having about architecture and about urban design and planners and architects and everything, I think is an important one because the more the art is out there, the more that people can see it, right? The one thing about graffiti is that it didn't start in the museums. The museums is just another place where we can show our stuff. It's not the ultimate goal. It's not the end-all, be-all. It's just another place for us as graffiti artists. So I guess to your question is just the more we do it, the more we put it out there, people are going to see it and react, and hopefully our stories will will be told that way, you know? So we'll see where it goes, yeah. Yes, question in the back. One more. The bombing and the tagging downtown on the uh, fences and everywhere that you see behind the homeless people and literally just DTLA, you think it's going to go escalate to pieces like how we were doing it before? We started out bombing and all of a sudden went to pieces, wild style portraits, characters. It came evolving into the crews and everything else. And that's where we got accepted. We would carry that album around, going to every liquor store saying, hey, can we paint the side of your store? And all of a sudden you come up with a spray can, you're a gangster, you don't want that. But nowadays, since everything is being accepted, you think that bubble is just going to be popping or is it just going to keep on evolving into something else as we saw it? I think the people like that the bombing sense of makes it more rugged, makes it more, you know, nowadays, it's kind of cool that you're building bombs. You get a little street cred or something, you know, as they say. It's what's in right now, you know I mean? That's the most freedom that, that you can ex experience there, you know, when, there, when there's this, a giant surface that, that you can uh, play with, you know. I don't think it's going to, you know, I mean, yeah, eventually sometimes, you know, they'll have some murals uh, on there, but uh, I think the people really enjoy the, the ruggedness of it. Yeah, by the way, I'm going to call you out, but 
Shandu is one of the OG LA graffiti writers. <laughs> so thanks for showing up. I mean, in answer to your question though, in the 80s, right, we were all painting and bombing and piecing and doing as much as we could because we wanted people to see us and pay attention to us. Like you said, we go try to paint the liquor store and do this because no one cared about what we were doing. Then the riots happened. After the alley riots, I think that was a really big shift, not only for the city, but for people, because I remember they started turning the cameras and asking us, hey, what's going on? What, what have you guys been painting? You know, what, we weren't listening to you guys, you know, like help us, you know, make sense of this. And so a lot of us did art programs and working with youth and mural programs and spark and all kinds of stuff happened as a result of that. So I was hoping something similar will come out of these last riots. And unfortunately, it's a whole other mentality going on right now. It's a different time. People are looking at graffiti, at the city, at identity differently. And so the one thing about graffiti, no matter what, graffiti is always going to exist because graffiti at its basis is illegal and it's about protest. And it's about just doing whatever you want, full freedom, like Prime was saying. So there's a sense right now, people are just like, you know what? I don't care. If people are walking out of Target with shopping carts full of shit, I'm gonna go bomb this building right now. I don't care. I'm gonna go do my thing. You know, I'm gonna start bonfires in the river and punk rock groups are gonna come play under the bridges. And it's like chaos right now out there, you know? For good reason, though. I'm not saying, you know, there's a reason why graffiti exists. There's a reason why chaos exists. So I don't know what's going to happen after this, but it's going to go somewhere, you know, because we're seeing, after you see all this corruption happening at the state level, at the federal level, at the city level, and you see all this crap happening, and then all you have is your own expression, I'm taking it to the streets. I don't know where it's going to go, and I don't, I don't think it's going to just be an overnight thing. I think it's going to be a shift in people's what it is to be an Angelino or what it is to be an artist or what it is to be a politician or what it is to be anything in this city. Like it's not sustainable. These rents going up and up and up for no reason is not sustainable. Cops are giving up, right? They're not even, they're not even arresting graffiti writers anymore. They're not arresting dope dealers anymore. They're not arresting people stealing and looting. So something's going to happen. <laughs> we wait to see what happens, but I know when it happens, graffiti is going to be part of it. So, one more is one more question. Okay. Yes. I think that's also okay. a great note to kind of conclude on. Maybe the lead into my question is maybe the writing is on the wall, coming directly out of your, your conversation. But, you know, because we're in a room surrounded by words, because the beginning of the conversation was really, you know, where did your names come? And what's the kind of etymology of, of that? Although in both cases, like a really great, a sound and a cam. And I've had conversations with Prime and he was talking about his really early kind of references or like connections with neighborhoods, seeing the writing in the concrete, in the sidewalks. And I guess to that end, my question really is like, what is the impact of writing of words have in your practice? And if maybe now both of you have kind of shifted into art, what is that kind of movement from words to art kind of really meant for you? What do the words mean? You know, sometimes when you see uh, maybe something that looks like a word in my my painting, sometimes it's just really gibberish. It's just me trying to bring some attention to maybe handwriting or something like that. At other times, you might see uh, more things that are practiced in our in our neighborhoods. 
certain things that I want to bring to attention. You know, I don't necessarily sometimes do them for politics or anything more leader, be personal statements. Man, well, for me, words are very important in my work because for me, that's the foundation of graffiti. It all evolved from there. So, and I don't view it as like graffiti and then art. For me, it was always art. That's why I was 16 years old and I wanted to get paid for doing for doing graffiti. Because in my mind, there was no difference. As a matter of fact, when I would see like abstract paintings in museums, I was like, what the hell's the point of this? Like, this makes no sense. You're not talking to anybody or doing anything. And then now I do abstract paintings because I understand now. But before the abstract paintings were like, oh, that's the way you fill in the letters. But anyway, there's an evolution with all that. But at the end of the day, for me, letters is the is the basis for everything. It's only a, it's only been a few years that I no longer sign my name on the front of the painting like really large. <laughs> Finally, some gallerist told me like you know you could sign it on the side or on the back <laughs> or smaller, and I was like oh yeah I could because I'm just used to on the streets like you do your piece and you gotta let people know who did it and put it right there so everyone can see it you know. Anyways, so graffiti is is about words. Graffiti is about is about letters. Even when I do portraits or characters, I'm still painting them the way I think of graffiti. Um, painting a portrait from life to look like some classical way of painting. Like to me, it's, oh, it's, there's, there's graffiti in this. That's how I translate it and make sense of it, you know? I want to go back to the last question real quick because I forgot to say something about what's next with, with what's going on in the world and stuff. I think we're the wrong people to be being asked. You know, I'm over 50 years old. I have no idea what the hell is going on anymore. The people who are going to make the change right now are the people who are 15, 16 years old right now. So that's who we need to be talking to. So who learned something tonight? Yes. So this show is an amazing demonstration of love and hard work. And guess what, guys? It's not free. Um, this, there's, this is a huge effort here and you can help support it tonight if you if we just want to encourage you to please consider a tax deductible donation to help support this program because it's not it's an amazing uh, labor of love but it took a lot of effort and money so any support that you guys would be willing to consider tonight would be very much appreciated but that being said our real vip heroes tonight are prime and man one let's give them a round of applause thank you guys appreciate you and you know i think there's some uh, wine and beer back in the bar so let's go have one okay thank you for coming thank you for coming thanks for listening to the not real art podcast please make sure to like this episode write a review and share with your friends on social also remember to subscribe so you get all of our new episodes not real art is produced by crew west studios in los angeles our theme music was created by Ricky Peugeot and Desi Deloro from the band Parlor Social. Not Real Art is created by We Edit Podcast and hosted by Captivate. Thanks again for listening to Not Real Art. We'll be back soon with another inspiring episode celebrating creative culture and the artists who make it.